Alright, well, while we wait, I have a few questions. It'll pop up on the slide, but um, I'll give you a little intro about myself. My name's Kyle Smith. I'm the executive pastor with Simple Church out of Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We are, I don't know if you ever stop being a plant because I keep telling everybody that we're a church plant. We're coming up on seven years. And uh, the reason why I suggested that we talk about difficult conversations was because of my, what I call, banner year in 2019. We went into a warehouse several years ago and had great space. Our kids' rooms were busting at the seams and we needed to move. Thankfully at that time, we had put in an offer on a building, but the lease or the, uh, the offer was declined. So next steps, we were praying about where to go. And at that time, another church approached us because their people felt like it was time for them to possibly merge with another church. And so we started what I like to affectionately call the dating process. And so we moved into the building and we had a plan to date for six months and then talk about getting married because Penn is a faith match and our, yay, hooray. Oh no, don't give away my secrets yet. Yes. It's okay, don't worry, I'm going somewhere with this. Sorry, no, you are fine. Listen, I was just trying to like, everybody's patiently waiting and stuff, it's all good. Here's what you missed, I'm Kyle. XP, Simple Church, church plant six, seven years, uh, building, no building, dating, not working out. <laughs> You're up to speed. Um, so we're in what I like to call the date to marry conversation, and we sit down at the table at that six months, and guess what? They don't want to get married. Here's what I learned about us. We were having bullying conversations because we were all, a whole bunch of leaders sitting around at a table, bully to bully, supposed to be kingdom-minded, and here we found ourselves at what I would call self-preservation and castle building. Come on in, come on in. I'm just trying to ignore awkward silence while I was waiting for tech, it's all good. That's what I learned, it was awful. Our lead pastor, it was very emotional. We saw how emotional it was for both sides of the table to sit down and try to have a very constructive conversation just about how to do things like run cafe, serve people, there's an element of taking care of people to allow them to operate in their ability, and we were robbing them of it. And that's really hard when not everybody's coming to the table on it. So lots of tears, lots of pain, lots of anger. And what we decided to do was we thought the brilliant thing was to remove our lead pastor from the conversation and allow myself and our associate pastor, Tim, to handle these very emotional, driven conversations. Guess what? That didn't work out either. So we had to go back to the table and start redesigning. That's probably one of the big banners for 2019 for me. Not only that, our lead pastor, Aaron, um, he was going through some mental health struggles and sat down. He's been very public about this. He actually coached about it today. Sat down in the office one day and said that he was at a place in his life where he could just walk away. And when you trust in your leadership and someone who is your best friend and you love their family so fiercely, that is terrifying to hear. But mental health is so important to me that I was like, whatever we gotta do to get you on a path to health and everything. That conversation was hard to hear, but the conversation that extended after that to sit down with the board and tell them what was going on and to be honest and transparent and to care for Aaron and his family in that kind of capacity, but be very realistic about what, we, what kind of terms we were looking at and to send him to Onsite, which is a fabulous program. These are difficult conversations. They can be highly emotionally charged and everything. And so I know it might be terrifying to hear, but I like practical approaches. 
I like to connect the dots and I like to help people get on next steps on how to work through a process like this. It's a lot of practice. And so here we are, difficult conversations because last year when I was sitting at Synergy, <coughs> wallowing in self-pity over my position, I should be so excited to be a pastor and here I was like, Lord Jesus, no one's teaching anything about <laughs> this date to marry. This is awful. I hate this. My staff is, they are just angry because of what we're walking through. This is rough. And so I suggested that we talk about, we talk about this. It's a whole process and a system. I love it so much. I live through memes and sarcasm and stuff. I know it's not the best, but it's a coping skill. This is how I feel a big majority of society operates. We need to have a difficult conversation. We have a decision to make, and instead we choose awkward silence. And you see her just like bouncing off into the distance. And what I truly feel like we see through this is down the path that she goes, there's loss of relationship, trust is broken, we're disengaged, we feel absolutely alone, it's awful. The difficult conversation, it's a temporary pain, it is uncomfortable, you can manage through it and you can work it. This I just thought was like a big ouch, I happened to find it, and it says, when we avoid difficult conversations, we trade short-term discomfort for long-term dysfunction. Holy cow. Because it's really easy to get stuck in that social media uh, thing where we're sending the little things like, forget them, get those toxic people out of your life. Uh, bye, Felicia. We just cut them off so fast. We unfriend, we unfollow. It's true. I say that because I'm not in social media as much as my husband is, but also I see that. What I don't see through that is relationship. I don't see reconciliation. I don't see restoration. And above all, I don't see forgiveness. And so that's why we're here. So raise your hand if you've ever been afraid of having a difficult conversation because you're afraid of hurting someone's feelings. You fear retaliation. You don't like drama. You don't like, this is my personal fave, confrontation. And you just want to keep the peace. Oh, yeah. And raise your hand if you've ever seen Mean Girls because I like that they talk about, yes, they talk about being personally victimized. There you have it, that's why we're here, because we're all afraid of that. We've been, we've been scared to have the conversation, and they're necessary, we have to have them. This is a staggering statistic. Outside of the church, I actually run a floral shop. This is crazy to me. 70% of employees are afraid of having difficult conversations. You know what that means to me? We're losing money in business. We're not as effective as leaders. We're not taking care of our people. They don't trust us. That's crazy to me. I also read the stat to um, parents. In a study of 2,000 parents, 78% of them are afraid to have meaningful and difficult conversations with their kids. And then to turn around and blame it on the fact that their kids have shut them out of their lives. Not only within that statistic is that 46% of those parents blame it on the fact that they work. I can't with that. Like we have to be the example. I'm a mom, I'm very busy but I can't be a part of that statistic. It is my job to teach my daughter how to have meaningful and difficult conversations in order to stand up for herself, in order to follow Jesus. There are gonna be some things that she faces and I want her to be equipped in a mighty way. So there are reasons why we avoid facing these difficult conversations. We have fear in the face of an uncertain outcome. We fear loss in social standing. Uh, the good old days of MySpace. I remember when girls were fighting with me, guess what they did? They straight took me out of that top friends Ten, the 10, the squares of 10, you would see they removed you. 
And that sucked. And then guess what you did? You retaliated by what? Removing them from your social standing. The irony in this is the fact that if we would just face these conversations, we actually have the capacity to gain better social standing with our peers or our colleagues because of what we're willing to come to the table with. And then lastly, resistance is constructed by our own imaginations. We create stories. Personally, yesterday, our, one of our finance team leads, he just sent a message out and asked why something was missing. We changed some of our accounting software. We're a little bit behind. We had a back injury to one of our team members, and so we were taking it slow, and like we want her to be healthy and stuff first before we start going back to work. And the story that I created in myself was, oh my gosh, Andrew doesn't think I'm good enough to be here. Andrew thinks that I'm slacking on my job. Andrew is gonna go to Aaron, and he's gonna tell him that I'm not capable of taking care of my duties. Not at all what Andrew's asking. He's just asking one question. Hey, we just switched software. Is there any reason why that report is missing? Yes, because in the background, we're doing lots of things to catch up the transition to this software program. Also, we were going through a loan pre-approval process, which is a lot, a lot more numbers <laughs> that our staff accountant was taking care of. That's just a story that I created, but it just bubbles up so fast. And I know I promised best approach, and I pray and I hope that you've read about these before. We see it in Matthew 18, 15, correcting another believer. I'm just gonna be really honest. I love scripture. It is sage, sound advice. Please don't misinterpret what I'm going to share. But we have weaponized scripture like this in order to say that, oh, we're trying to correct them. They, they, uh, they irritated me, they have offended me, and I'm gonna go to them, and then this I call the gang up, because if you don't handle it well, you're ganging up on somebody. You go to them personally, you try to share, but you weren't effective, so then you take them before somebody else, and if you're not talking or communicating well, they're gonna feel like it's one-sided. They're gonna feel blindsided. It is another way to lose trust, and then we're throwing them before the church. I don't know if you've ever encountered that before, but my husband and I have been in ministry since we were 18 years old. We have seen people literally be thrown in front of other congregants to talk about their sin and pull up to the surface, the shame, instead of talking and having a good conversation behind the scenes in order to equip them to get them back to a healthy spot. It's funny because things like this were told to us when we got married. If you don't know our story, my dad, I'm the fourth of five. When Derek and I were getting married, my dad was like, you gotta go. I come home from work one day, I'm planning on living at home until I'm married. There's boxes in the hallway. And I'm like, no dad, I'm good, we're gonna live here. I'm gonna live here until I'm married. He's like, that's adorable. It's time for you to go. I love my parents, we have a great relationship. He was not messing around. Ironically, people just assumed that Derek and I were living together, but they didn't know or have a relationship with me to know that I was staying with our college and career pastors too. So I had somebody pull me to the front and say, how could you and your husband ever have a meaningful relationship because you'll do things together like shopping for groceries and that's not true marriage. Uh, well, it's interesting to me because we've had many fights and most of them are not about grocery shopping and everything too. So it could have been handled a lot differently. The hurt that I encountered very early on when we got married could have been handled completely different. What I see studying Matthew 18 is a process of forgiveness and a pursuit of reconciliation to restore relationship. This for me is a burning passion. I'm an Enneagram eight. If you read about narratives, it's I'm naturally confrontational. I'm told that I'm very intense. That's okay. I know that I'm designed a certain way. I also really love getting people set up 
to be able to take next steps, to be able to be healthy in that. I love that so much. It's a big joy for me. And then maybe you've done this too, peacekeeping versus peacemaking. Raise your hand again if you just want to keep the peace. Raise your hand if you know about making peace. This is me. This is where I live, try to live my life. And this is where we read about it in Matthew 5, 9. And what we read is that blessed are the peacemakers. And also, when we're keeping peace, we just want the noise to stop. We're just like, you know what, I'm going to ignore that because I just want to keep the peace. I want to be a good person. I know that they, I know that I'm harmed. I know that they hurt my feelings. I know that something they did was wrong. I just want to keep the peace. That's what a good Christian does and stuff. No, no, it doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. It said blessed are the peacemakers. Now, it doesn't say this directly, but this is from commentaries because I love to study. Those who strive to, pre- to prevent contention and strife and use their influence to reconcile opposing parties. You better just set yourself up for some difficult conversations. Don't pray big prayers. Get yourself ready. This is what I feel like we should be working for. These are amazing approaches. I just want everybody to be equipped to do them well. I'm not saying that the scripture is wrong. I wholeheartedly believe that to be true. I just want to make sure that we use practical approaches in how we do it instead of saying, well, Sister Shanda, I just went and I'm Matthew 18 them. And I know that I've heard that before. Did you have a conversation? I went. I did the Matthew 18. Well, how did that go? Well, now they're mad. They've blasted me on Facebook. They're sending me all this stuff. We didn't do it. If you have that kind of outcome, we need to change how we're doing it. So this is the practical approach. It's a consistent system that you can use in your life. And I thought I saw back there, but it's not. It's called E plus R equals O. It's event plus response equals outcome. This is something that we're teaching about at Simple Church. It is so good, you guys. Last year, I discovered with my staff, nobody was doing anything inherently wrong. We weren't talking the same language. So it would be really easy to have a conversation with me and do like a little bit of counseling or like what you're feeling a certain way. And then it would be really easy to go to one of the other pastors and have a conversation and feel like you almost got a totally outweighed response. We weren't like what we're communicating was right and true, but we weren't using consistent vocabulary together. We also noticed there was like toxic culture. You know, we have dream team members that just don't want to get on board with the vision and stuff. And it's sometimes it's really easy to be like, well, get on board or ship out and stuff. And I know that seems really tough because we believe in a coach up or coach out type mentality. I don't say that because we don't love people because you want people on board with the vision too, or help them get to their next steps. It's okay. We want them to have freedom to be able to pray about going to, if they're, if they need to find a different church, that's not a bad thing to say. Some people just definitely need a different kind of environment. That's totally okay. So this is third focus three. Urban Meyer used this with the Buckeyes. There's a great book. It's like 10 or 15 bucks above the line. So much good content in that book. We read that to even explore this kind of training. So what we have is the event plus response equals outcome. The events are situations that happen in life. Get cut off in traffic. The barista at Starbucks doesn't make your drink fast enough. The kids woke up late for school or missed their bus. All events. Your husband looked at you the wrong way. Didn't answer that text message. Anything can be considered the E, the event. The response is entirely up to us to control. The response is up to you. It's what we do. And outcomes are built by the event and the response. I love this so much. We use this in the office. It's so easy. It's not always easy to operate in. 
but it is a very easy formula to understand because they can sit in the office and they can say, well, the E was this, the R was this, but we're hoping for once we talk that the O is this. This is a conversation that we have now. And so this line you see right here in the middle is what we call above the line or below the line. Above the line is what we call discipline-driven behavior. That starts with you. That's all inside of us. It is intentional, it's on purpose, and skillful. Because I do believe that's what the scripture is talking about. You go to them, you're talking about restoration and forgiveness, but it is intentional. And then below that is default-driven. It's impulsive, it's on autopilot, it's resistant. Impulsive to me means that we're blowing up, that we put someone on blast. That's not intentional or skillful. That's not, it's just, it's not nice. On autopilot, like, are we listening? Are we really paying attention to what's going on? And then there's resistance. If I'm going too fast, let me know, but I have all this pegged to email out to everybody too so you can have all this fabulous stuff. Do I? Oh, I'm able, I thought I was able to email everybody through the, good. Oh, I don't know, let me check on that. What? You got an email? I thought I sent one out about uh, having, okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, so I think I can send all that out and um, upload it all and everything. There's some great worksheets out there, and I have all of the resources, too, where you can easily grab them and stuff. So we have the same thing right here. Just again, you're intentional, you're on purpose, you're skillful in that behavior that you're displaying, and if not, then it's below the line. It's really easy in the office now, too, to, 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 to determine, was that an above-the-line response or below? That way it's not attacking when we're having the conversation. By the way, my husband works in the office with me, so you can only imagine what this is like sometimes. We have to be very careful. This is when we say that we try and practice this in the home life and at the church. And I love this, because influence is greater than control. So much, we want to control the outcome. We want to control someone else's behavior. We want to control our environment, but we can't control the events or the outcomes. We can only influence the outcome by how we control our response. And so this is why I believe it gives us a consistent system to use as a discipline in every part of our lives. This, to me, is applicable. This is where it really counts. Because if you had a year like I did last year, choosing that response when someone's sitting across the table, telling you things like, you're too business-minded, you have no Holy Spirit in you, that's rough. And it's really easy for me to want to tear my earrings out and just go <laughs> throw some arms. It's really easy to want to do that. But instead, I need to be disciplined and say, it's unfortunate that you feel that way. I was hoping for a different outcome. I was hoping that we could build a better partnership or a better relationship together. Because I truly value a lot of the gifts that people have and how they're using them and equipping people for the kingdom. So it's really sad when we as believers cannot work together to build the kingdom because we're so busy preserving our castle. And if you don't think that that happens, wait until you're in a situation like where, where, where we are currently at. And it definitely feels like that. It definitely feels like you don't know how to work together with other people who believe in the same Jesus, who believes in the same person who is full of grace and mercy for all. It is devastating when someone tells you that because you served a drug addict that you're in the wrong. That's devastating. And how you choose to respond is entirely up to you because I think that's important but also practical approach. I also don't want my child to see me fighting in the hallways nor any of my teens. And I bet, I'm the, um, I bet if you polled our staff, they would definitely say I'm probably the most, the most likely to uh, 
<laughs> to throw earrings and fight. I, uh, I don't want to say I'm a justice warrior, but I fiercely love people. So why is our response important? I love this. This. Mismanaged emotions do not lead to great decisions. Whew. I've been married for almost 13 years, and I know what a mismanaged emotion looks like. And I know that it does not lead to great decisions. It has led to saying terribly hurtful things. It has led to just non-fruit-bearing conversation. It has led to us reaching uh, restoration. It's taken a lot longer to get to that. It's not, it's not nice. It's not kind. Also, it's important because poor responses lead to further conflict, broken relationships, loss of trust and engagement. This is character stuff. Like, be a person of integrity and your character. We need to focus on the six disciplines named the R factor. We'll go through that. And I'll, my fave, most importantly, we want to be the shiny. People are watching how you respond. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, we want to be the salt and light of the world. Interesting because uh, salt used to purify and keep things from decay when they're writing about this, i.e., um, I like to connect dots and stuff, so it kind of made me think about Lot's wife, pillar of salt. When we think about what's going on here, what was happening, she turns to the pillar of salt because she's longing for this life that she's been told to leave, something that was going to lead to decay. It's not going to purify her or anything. So that's what I was studying this week. Like, oh, this is fun. Also, there's that term, like, don't be salty. And I know that comes from an urban dictionary or somewhere else, but, like, we don't want to be salty like Lot's wife. We want to be salt and light. People are watching how we respond. People aren't going to want to follow Jesus if we're being turds. <laughs> it is true. Like, they don't want to serve or follow a God if we're just being jerks when we're driving. It's the most accurate information. Like, we have to be above reproach. 24-7, and it's not because I have this expectation for you to live differently. It's because you have something different in you. You were designed with a purpose created by this magnificent creator. You've got to stop devaluing you, and that's okay. Like, you can just live with this above-the-line response. Are you going to be perfect? No, but someone, I guarantee, who sees these intentional, uh, discipline-driven responses are more likely to be like, you know what? I want to I wanna work with this person. I want to see what they're doing. I want to I want to be around them. So we have the disciplines of the R, which is the response. First, we're going to press pause. <coughs> we're going to get our mind right. We're going to step up, adjust and adapt, make a difference and build skill. And so, before we when we press pause, before we respond, we want to get focused and intentional. We want to understand the situation, focus on what we want. If you need to press pause, that's okay. If you need to take five seconds and walk a hallway, that's okay. I would rather see someone do that than go off. Like I said, I'm in retail for business management in floral. You can only imagine the, a range of emotions that I see in a day from funeral work to people having babies or that have lost babies and now we're doing sympathy work. And then a bride comes in and I have to be on point with the bride because this is the best day of her life. And if I choose to respond poorly, that is, I mean, we see what Google reviews and everything do now. It is insane. But I would rather have one of my design managers or someone walk away for five seconds because of how they're being talked to rather than respond so poorly that we have to have a conversation about them working there or the fact that now we have to get the owner involved and then it has just, like, escalated. We're just trying to avoid that at all costs. 
So that's what I really like about a press pause. You may not need to take a walk. Press pause may be like you don't send that text message yet, that you don't send e the email yet. That's a press pause. That is okay. If you delete what you have just typed up and it is a dissertation, that's okay to delete it. That is a good press pause. We got to get our mind right. We have to pay attention to our inner thoughts and feelings. You have to ask yourself, what story am I telling myself? It is really easy. We're really good at telling ourselves story. What emotions am I feeling? I cry a lot. I love people. I am grieved when things don't come together as a plan. Grieved because I feel like I just want partnership. I want this to work out in my head. It like makes a beautiful presentation. Cry a lot. It was a goal to not cry during this presentation today because that's how much I love getting people on to their next steps, their path because of how, whatever that looks like. Don't stay stuck in the emotions of the event. Oh my gosh, it happened. It was in the past. I know that this is applicable to every type of situation. Don't stay stuck there. Like it's okay, We're, we recognize that the event occurred, but we can't stay stuck. We wanna step up, we wanna respond with discipline, and it takes practice, all the practice. I've got leaders that are sitting in this room now who work with me and they're still gonna tell you it takes practice. Where I've even had to go to them and say, I'm sorry, that was not the correct response. I've had to look at them and say that, or text it to them, I'm sorry, that was not appropriate. I need to engage the best possible response. Challenging situations demand exceptional responses. And that one's so good because when you're having the fight of your life in a conversation, that's really where you're putting all of this to work. And then lastly, don't use a challenging event as an excuse for a below-the-line response. Don't do it. It's not good. Because that's just blaming. It's complaining. It's defending behavior. It's just not okay. We want to adjust and adapt. Your habits are perfectly designed to get the results they are getting. That one stings. Like, as I was, I was like, ooh, someone wrote that just for me this week. My habits are designed perfectly to get that result. And if the R, your response isn't working, don't blame the E, choose a better R. That seems rough, but if it's not working for you, I think it goes without saying, and that's not to be, that's not to be mean. We just need to choose a different R. It's okay to grab help from this too. Be adaptable, life requires adjustments. Holy cow, you guys. My experience with serving at the church and walking us through this kind of season I can't tell you how many times our teams have had to adapt to what the situation occurs. It is crazy to me. Two weeks before we were opening back up to our two services for kids, we had a meeting with our, um, let's just say ex-fiance. <laughs> we had a meeting with the ex-fiance, and they say, hey, we know you're going to two services, but guess what? You can't use the nursery with us anymore. So you're gonna have to find a different space. Now we have the rooms to accommodate that, but we had, we had two weeks. And so that's a difficult conversation in and of itself because of the plan we had already put together. Our kids director and her admin, they ran a fabulous conversation. They ran at that and they handled it so well. They made a great plan. These are people who wanna serve their people and our people and all these families and then get kids excited about coming back in. We want parents to know that their babies are safe. We're asking them to hand over their treasure and then now I know that our kids director has to sit there and go, well, what are we gonna do? I can't use this room anymore. So luckily, because she knows how to adjust and adapt, she's capable of rounding up team members, 
and going back downstairs to two rooms that were ours to use and paint them and get them ready and acquire nursery furniture, things we were not planning for because we had a nursery to use. And she's adjusting and adapting. She didn't complain. She didn't sit there and go off on them. She handled herself so well. I am sure that there were moments of fire that would probably want to come out of her because of her trying to gain this new program and get momentum behind it. And then to get a phone call like that is just the worst. But she did fabulous. Her team is fabulous. And then we want to make a difference. We want to create great experiences for others. <coughs> Attitude and behavior are deeply personal and rarely private. Is anybody else shocked by reading that? I was like, ooh, that hits home. Your attitude and behavior, deeply personal, rarely private. People are watching us. They're watching you. They're watching me. It's crazy. That's why I put wow next to it. Mind blown. going to teach my daughter about this next week. And then what you do has an impact on the others around you. We call this owning your 20 square feet because you can't control everything out there. What I can control is within a few feet of me. That makes it really easy to digest that kind of information and to walk forward from it. I'm in charge of my response to any of these situations. When I was in Honduras last year, we had a situation come up and this kids director as well. I think she always walks into these. It was funny because she took all these supplies to run VBS and have a great session for these kids. And then guess what? We had like twice as many kids. So Ashley's like, what am I going to do? I'm just like, let's go get beans. We'll put them in these bottles. We're going to move forward as she's like doing her projects. You do what you need to do. I will secure materials, don't care where it comes from. What I loved was like at the end of that when we we're having a debrief was she called me a fire putter outer. And it's funny because it's like, oh, it's true. I'm an executive pastor. Sometimes I say I'm like the CFO, the I don't know, definitely the uh-oh. And then fire putter outer because it's like I thought I was just good at putting out fires. What I learned through that is that I'm just really willing to have these difficult conversations because I believe in forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. And so it seems like you're putting out fires a lot, but you're not. Like, you're just taking people on a journey. Because what we do has an impact on others. I could have sat there in Honduras and been like, well, that's too bad. You should have planned differently. I'm just going to go in here and color these pages with these little kids. Hola. I could have totally done that. Because we both speak Spanish. I could have been like, oh, she does not have what she needs. Oh, too bad. Nope. I'm a team player. I love what she's doing. I'm going to choose a different, a different R. And we want to build skills. We want to be intentional on the habits that we build. You want to grow beyond your talent. Because you were born with talent, but at this level, if you're in leadership, I don't care if you feel like you are at the bottom of servant leadership, whatever that title is called, project leadership, you are a leader. It does not matter. Do not wait for the title to come before you start serving others or feel like you're called into that position. You start acting that way now, so when you step in, you are ready to go. You're born with that talent, but at this level, everyone has talent. There's people out there that are doing way better speeches than me. That's okay. I'm going to keep building skill. This is a good one. BCD. We're not going to blame, complain, or defend. When the event happens, we're not going to blame others. In church world, when four people drop off your team on Sunday morning and they didn't tell you until 7.45 a.m. and huddle is at 8.30, we're not going to sit there and complain to the people around us that people aren't showing up. No excuse. We're not going to defend poor behavior. And we're not, we're just not going to. We have a little sign in the office and it just says no BCD. And it's it like, it's funny at first and then you realize like as someone, as you're doing it, they're like, hey, Kyle, that's your BCD. And you're like, oh, yes. But it's a real, it's a really easy tool to kind of recenter and 
keep moving forward. And then, this is, I'm so proud of this guy right here. This is what we call the Simple Search Culture Playbook. So when I referred to toxic culture that was happening, it starts from the top. The culture is the summary of the habits of, of what we're doing. So when we went on a retreat to talk about where we had been with SD, what we were trying to do, staff and spouses sat around and talked about what we believe for others, the behaviors that we would like them to encounter, because the outcome would lead to different things. So I know that's a little blurry, but this is based off of this E plus R equals O. This is a response to events that occurred for outcome that could potentially be better for us as a church, as an organization. These are all things too, if they believe in them, they're not just like a simple church-based thing. They're for connection because we want them to be connected to God. We want them to have an authentic relationship with God and with others. It's down here. And we want them to have intentional conversation. That's an above the line response. Be intentional about what we're doing. Excellence. We want to do the right thing. Let me get to my, got it right here. We want to do the right thing, pursue the next level, no BCD. So this is really easy for our team leads, our staff, and our dream team members to use. Like, hey, that's, that's, that's BCD behavior. We don't want to engage in that. We want to own the challenge and be part of the solution. And an outcome of that is that we glorify God through all that we do. So these are really easy beliefs, behaviors, outcomes, but it still takes practice and skill. We believe in generosity, and so we want to faithfully steward our time, treasure, and talents, and prayerfully give beyond the tithe. And an outcome of that is that because we trust God and we can impact the world as an outcome. Growth. We want to remain prayerfully obedient to God's word and remain teachable and learn with humility. Intentional, spiritual, and personal development. And an outcome is we are more like Jesus every day. And purpose. We have a system called Growth Track at the church, and that is to help you figure out maybe how you're designed and help that skill. We want to participate in it. We also want to promote it. And then we want to connect others with opportunities to lead. And an outcome is that we understand our purpose and can make a difference. All of this is a result of changing to that E plus R equals O. It's a fabulous system. We want to talk about the culture. We want to have this 20 square feet. This is something that we have. It's a, like a postcard size that we can carry around in pockets and talk about with. But this is easy language for all of us. Woo, fabulous. It's a, it's a really easy point of language that we all understand. Should have brought, brought something to pass out. So how do we do it? Because that's, that's a lot of information. I know it's a lot of like little diagrams. We want to pray first. Like we have to stop saying things like all we can do is pray. A, that is offensive to God. Second, like why? He gave us these minds and everything to use. Like we need to take that before him and just lay it all out. When we have to face this difficult conversation, ask for it. We know it's got to happen. Let's just get right to it. Prepare, but don't over-prepare. It's okay to put a little, like a few notes down on a sticky note or something, prepare. I'm not saying make a script because that seems really, it's just not authentic. And you don't want someone else to sit across the table from you and you're just reading across. You're not going to get engagement back. You're probably not going to restore trust back with that person. But it's okay to prepare what you want to say. It also is going to cut down on wasting time to at a meeting or just like circumventing what you really want to talk about. This is applicable at home, in the office, church, wherever you are. This is all applicable. We want to keep the desired outcome in mind. This is a way to stay emotionally centered because we want to think about, like, what do I truly want from this 
conversation that has to happen. What do I truly want? That's not to take away from what God's will is going to ultimately be, but what do I truly want? Because I don't want to sit there and say things that are terrible to this person. I want to think about a good outcome in mind that I can still walk away and say, okay, that's not the outcome that I wanted. I don't think that we reached a great agreement. However, I know that I chose to respond well. I still took care of them in this conversation and handled them. We recently had one. We had to sit down. Whoo, buddy. I don't know how this happened. I was minding my own business at the Dream Team party, probably playing laser tag and stuff. And something was said. And before I know it, I'm getting an email that's like, I need to meet with you and the pastor. And I'm like, oh, that's when I'm like looking for an adult, someone who's better at adulting. (laughs) And I know I'm second in charge, so now I have to sit at this table. A, I was super thankful that this person set up the, she asked for the conversation. She sent the email, was like, I really need to meet with you guys about this. She didn't come in. She didn't yell. She didn't scream. She cried because the heart that was behind that was, I just want to know that you care about me. And it wasn't because we weren't taking care of her. We were just dealing with a very delicate situation, things that were going on behind the scenes at her home that we had no idea about. I didn't play into that. I was just minding my own business. But we tell ourselves stories. And so she had created this epic story of no one from Simple Church cares about me. All this is going on. And she just sat there and said, I just want to know that you care. Now, we, I could have chose to sit there and say, well, I didn't send that. And I didn't say that, and I didn't do that, and I was just playing laser tag and blah, blah, blah. No, I hear you. I'm sorry that this happened. I don't even say I'm sorry all the time. I say it's unfortunate. Sometimes saying I'm sorry means that you're accepting the responsibility for it. I don't know if that frees you up from some stuff, but that sure frees me up from saying things a lot too. I know sometimes people are unhappy with the decisions we have to make at SC. It's unfortunate that you feel that way, but saying I'm sorry is almost like saying, I take responsibility and I need to go change that to make you happy and to take care of that when I'm charged with taking care of all of these people here. So I'm so thankful for the outcome of this because her plan was to sit and heal for a bit and we're like, we're kind of worried that if you leave, you'll, you know, like you won't have community, you won't have this, you won't have that. And that was just the pastors coming out in us and stuff. But the outcome of that is so good because the one person that she was probably I would say most upset with is now coaching her through some of how she's responding to this. He is, Tim is our associate pastor. He's the one who leads some of the coaching and leadership for us, which is so funny to me because they were the ones having this conversation, but now the outcome of that is restored, restored relationships. They've reconciled. There's forgiveness present there. She is taking bigger steps now to change and take care of herself emotionally. And it's okay to know when you need help too. It's okay to reach out to others who respond maybe better than you do to get some tips on it. And here are some of my resources, because I know this is a lot and I'm happy to send this out. Boundaries, if you have not read this book, underneath Bible, please go out and buy it. This book changed my life, having boundaries. Toxic Soul is a great one too for understanding that pastors do not have to kill themselves for the people. It is important for pastors to remain married Because if they are on call 24-7, you're just asking for devastation. You're asking for them to put their families on a back burner. It's not okay. And we also want to teach our people, too, that it's okay to have boundaries. It's okay for my husband and I to go to our daughter's orchestra concert. I'm sorry that I did not help you move that night, but my daughter is important. She's at the church a lot. She's serving a lot. 
it's important for her to know that we still are making time for her because not only am I in a pastoral role, so is my husband. We get calls a lot. I feel like he gets them very frequently. I don't as much. I'm very thankful for that. He's a, he's a creative pastor, and he is over the worship team, which I like to call emotional people. Okay. I served on worship team for many years, too. I, too, am emotional. Cry a lot. So boundaries is great. There's, like, beyond boundaries. What to do once you've been hurt and how to move forward, how to create healthy boundaries in your life and stuff. Great stuff. Crucial conversations, tools for talking when stakes are high. That one's really good. There's podcasts out there. Urban Meyer, Above the Line. It's a little football heavy, I would say. But for content that is applicable, it's a good buy. This, they do a, a grow group at the church on and stuff. They, I hear great things about the outcomes of that and how people are just learning to respond in their everyday life. I feel like it should go without saying, but I just want a friendly reminder that your Bible is the best resource. <laughs> Get into it. It's fascinating stuff. I love it so much. Still learning every day after all these years. And then, so we have Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud, Dr. John Townsend, Above the Line, Focus Read Podcast. This is a great way to reclaim your time. You're driving, pop in one of those podcasts and listen to what they're talking about. Things that you can't control, getting away from the, you know, being stuck in the events. Successful people don't focus on the ease. They don't keep hammering out in their heads. They don't keep wasting time on it. They immediately start thinking about their response. That is fantastic. I don't know if you've ever hung out with somebody who constantly is reminding you about something that happened. For me in my life, I have a great relationship with my mother-in-law, but we have some weird family dynamics going on right now, guys. It's weird. My father-in-law decided after like 25 years of marriage that he was just gonna peace out one day. Now, I don't know what they're doing to restore or move forward or anything, but if you know my mother-in-law, guess what you've heard about a lot? The E, the E, always the E, and even in coaching of like, Ma, I love you, I want the best for you, I want the best for him, but we've got to choose a better response. This is stressful on our family. This is a lot for our, my daughter to process and take in. It affects all the kids. Her kids are all grown. And it's affecting them, but we have to choose a different R to the E that is happening. Our family dynamic is changing. It's weird. Can't remember if I had another meme or not. I did. I love this so much. <laughs> the moment when you crush a difficult conversation. <laughs> toss, toss. I live through these. Also, it was harder to find difficult conversation memes than I thought it might be because nobody wants to talk about it. We're so quick to cut people off and cut people out of our lives. It's insane to me. So now, does anybody have any questions? <laughs> anybody? Yes, sir. That, that to me is what I call the press pause. If it takes you a day, a day or two, that's okay. Sometimes I'll even just send the email that just says, hey, let me think about this for a day. That way, I'm on it. Gives me some grace, but also I'm not going to be a keyboard warrior and blast them. Here's a really good piece of advice, and it's not even up here. Stop texting your emotional response to whoever it is that offended you. Stop. You're hurt. I hear you. I want to validate that. Pick up your phone, please. 
I don't even bother responding to the text now. If they send me the emotional text, it's like, <coughs> when do you have time for coffee? Let's sit down. This is also where I'm called intense. It's not because I want to be mean. It's because I want to get right to the point. This is also why I value, value not texting. We have a marriage retreat coming up. We had a couple sign up. They can't make it to both days. We feel that the forgiveness portion of the marriage retreat is really essential to what the work the next day will look like. But they can't make it to Friday night. So as she's texting me, I can't make it, but we're going to be there and la, la, la. I have to say, can we talk about this? And when I saw her in person, I'm really glad that I had this conversation in person with her. It wasn't so much that she felt like they needed the marriage retreat. She was craving connection. And while that wasn't a difficult conversation per se, she's not worried about her marriage. She just wants to connect with people that are going to be at this retreat. And I would have missed that opportunity to speak to her if I had just been like, well, sorry, we can't take care of that. Also, that's just, it just doesn't even show that we care about that person because we're just like, nope, next thing. Now, if it's like a quick task or something, I really don't mind. But these emotional texts, like, we have no idea what that person is thinking. They read it in their inner voice and stuff. My husband is number one person of sending the emotional text. And he knows I just don't even respond to it anymore. Just don't even respond. He knows that I won't. I've told him, I love you so much. Guess what? I'm not going to respond to this emotional text. We can talk about this later. It's also because he might have been stewing on something for two days, three days, three weeks, when he probably could have just used an opportunity to have that difficult conversation. And I just don't want to do that anymore. It's just not healthy for us. It's also like last year when we were walking through all of this of the, we've just got to stop behaviors like that. The access to Aaron and Shanda was just mind blowing because I felt like instead of having a conversation with our team leads or anything, they were just running to what I call mom and dad. Mom and dad, Kyle did this, Derek did this, blah, blah, blah. And then they're trying to take care of the people, but it's kind of robbing people of opportunity to lead and stuff too. So in fact, for Aaron's mental health, he changed his number. That made some people mad, but guess what? It was a great, for him, that was a great eat. It led to better mental health practice. I'm sure probably better boundaries for their family life because they also have three kids that they're raising and who are teenagers and that they're trying to take care of. And also give them more husband-wife time to be together and to not have to worry so much about what everyone's just blowing up through text message, message 24-7. Any other questions? We, we read a ton. This is the first time in all my years of ministry, reading whatever book that a leader throws at me, this is the first time I read something and was like, we need this. I was tired of us living in silos of ministry. I was tired of you know, kids being like, oh, they don't care about kids down here, and worship saying like, oh, they don't, they're not responding the way that we want, and all of this, and I don't say that because I don't care. It was just like, it's too much, and your mind just wants to explode. And then add that into this weird living with your person before you get married type situation, and now you got to wait the lease out and stuff. Add all of that in, it is just a crazy dynamic to deal with. And this, honestly, is a game changer for us. To be able to have this like really easy language to use and stuff has been excellent. And I can use it at home. I asked my 11-year-old this week. She's walking through a really tough season. She's got some, some friends that maybe don't make the best choices and stuff, and we're trying to allow her to explore her own relationship with Jesus so she's not on mom and dad's coattails. It's really easy to be like, you're going to be in church, you're going to do this, blah, 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 because we're pastors. We don't want that for her. 
I asked her, Dresden, what makes you scared to have a difficult conversation? Her response, I'm anxious about the outcome, and I'm worried about what the other person's going to say. She even knows that there is the E plus R equals O. She's 11, and she can still work on this and stuff. It's really it's easy and applicable. Anybody else? I had, a, I had two questions come in from email. One asking me about how to have a difficult conversation. Are you in here? If they're LGBTQ? That was you. That is a tough question. Opposing belief, and I would give you my stance on any of this, is Jesus would connect before he corrects. And if I really, really would gauge someone, if you're trying to charge down this kind of path, not because I want to say anything is like inherently bad, I want you to focus on what you think the outcome is going to be and taking care and loving somebody, especially when we're talking about what the LGBTQ. It is a huge movement right now going through. There's so much identity crisis. There's identity <laughs> crisis with so many demographics, and yet this one comes to mind, and I just really want to be cautious to, like, when we're talking about opposing beliefs and views, that we really know the person and what we understand we're asking of them, too. It's very easy to say things like, well, it's a sin to be this, it's a sin to this, this is a disgrace and stuff. Are you personally ready, if someone is engaged in a different lifestyle than you, are you personally ready to take the charge of inviting them to your Thanksgiving dinner when they're all alone because now they're following the God that you told them to follow, they gave up the beliefs that they had, are you going to have them at your Thanksgiving dinner because they walked away from the family that they knew? Are you ready for that? Are, are you? I want you to pray about that before you have that conversation. And it's really easy to say things like, well, you're the leadership. You have to take care of that. Nope. We're all in this together. And if we say that we're going to be following Jesus this way, I mean act like Jesus because I don't think Jesus would sit there and toss these people to the side or think that they're not worthy of doing something. And so that's, that's the challenge. And so I don't say that as an aggressive tone. I just, I love that question so much because I get this question a lot. I have a lot of family members that are lesbian and they feel like, well, Kyle, how can you love me and stuff like that? Because I feel like God has a plan for their life. And I'm okay to say that. And there's probably things in my life that people don't want to agree with and everything. That's okay too. But also, am I ready to sit there and tell someone how terrible they are of a person. No, I don't want that for them. Also, is that the response that I want to have in that event? What kind of outcome is that going to get me to? That's going to get me to be an unfriended on Facebook, probably not invited to any more family dinners, and my family is kind of dysfunctional in the way that my husband and I are the only ones who are married this long, and we're hitting 13 years. So if that says anything for what dynamics look like in my life, that people just don't stay together. And so I'm asking them to charge a whole different lifestyle and I just encourage you to really be in prayer and be tender. There, there is so much hurt out there, and to take care of people is it's critical. And just, you know, we want to be kind with our words and stuff. We have, we have couples that have attended the church before. Oh, my gosh, I love them. Love them. I love playing games with them. I love hanging out with them. Do you know what I'm doing, though? I'm doing life with them. Instead of saying, well, you shouldn't do that, and that's a, a I hate this word. That's an abomination. We shouldn't be doing that. Okay, great, but guess what? You're getting back on your high horse, and you're going back to your house in your lovely little home and living your best life, and now someone is facing, they've got to find a new place to live. They are leaving any relationship that they may have known. They may not have any family left because the family may have already disowned them because they're a disgrace 
just want to be very careful in how we take care of people and stuff too because of what it looks like. And that's my like literally just being honest. I think it's a fabulous question. I have so many resources for you that I want to send your way and just hit me up with conversation because I am happy to be that resource because it is it's tough. When we first planted, oh my gosh, people, how could you have how could you have gay people in church? Pastor, I love that what you're doing, but I can't I can't sit next to a gay person. Okay, well, you didn't catch it, so <laughs> tell me. Also, it's funny because they're not willing to do other things for their life, to change things in their own personal life. And it's not because we're perfect. I don't think that I'm perfect. I know that I have many issues and messes in my life. But, man, I don't have the time to sit there and spend telling somebody how terrible they are of a person when they probably already feel a certain way. And I'm okay if people disagree with me on that, too. But just be prepared. That, that would be my challenge to somebody if they're going to sit down and tell me that I need, that I need, I'm the one charged just because I have pastor in front of my name. No, thanks. And then I think I saw somebody emailed about feeling like you're all alone. Are you in here? Yes. yes. Did you mean like in ministry or in general all alone or have a conversation with a spouse? My first thing is And as you say I'm not. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's like you would say it's like it's your family can't just come and pick you up and oh, carry you yeah. and you go with that and you're not and you know, you lost your family and you can't just come and carry you and take you to Yeah. This would be one of those times where I would exercise some boundaries. Like reading reading a lot what boundaries are and what they can do for our lives. And then also probably beyond boundaries. So it seems like there's hurt there about what happened. And um, I'm the only one that attends church out of my family. I am like the black sheep. That's really hard when you're talking to other pastors who are like generational leaders. And they've been, they're at a church that's been there for 50, 75 years. And yet my family chastises my daughter because she chooses to come home on Saturday night because she wants to be at church on Sunday morning. And that's a really hard conversation to have. And for you, like, I want you to have community of people around you and stuff too. Like I hope that you have mentors or even coaches that are talking to you, but some friends that can get in the trenches with you to understand the dynamic of what happened and also to help you keep moving forward with some steps. Families are rough with the dynamic to, to deal with and work around. And personally that I feel for you there because sometimes I, I understand that alone <laughs> feeling. Um, and I pray that the team that you're on to, that you're working with great, people who are just ready to rally around you. I am so thankful for the team that I have leadership-wise and my dream team. And I just know that a few weeks ago I was like, listen, I'm just feeling this sort of way. I just, I just need to acknowledge, like, I'm in pain. And I'm, I'm going to choose a different response, you know, of what was going on instead of unfriending people and all that jazz. But it was just, it was rough. But I'm glad that I have people who were, like, checking in on me, making sure that we're okay and taking care of that. And so I, you know, we don't want to do that. And also, like, I just pray that, you know, if you if you don't, that you start taking some steps to reach out and have that. You know, there's such a, like a community of people out there that have 
walk maybe what you have or just have some great, great insight to help you not feel alone. Pastors more than, oh, the stats on pastors and what they face is just staggering. I'm a statistics person, so I like to know what's kind of happening, but it breaks my heart that the people who are charged with caring for, they just, I feel like we get trampled. We're supposed to live up to this expectation and stuff. Like, you know, we're real people. We deal with real issues. We have real families. We have real relationships to take care of and stuff, and it's really difficult. And that's why I think stuff like this is so applicable because we can kind of, it's not to make it this like perfect present of things. It's just like a, an approach that we can take still using scripture to justify what we're doing, but just how we do it and handle it well. So I'm, I would love to chat with you about that more and stuff. Thank you for sharing. Yes, sir. I think it's um it comes back to when I think of like certain outcomes that happened that weren't like favorable or like what I really wanted if I can look back and say like was that the best response that I could give okay I feel good about that because um, there's gonna be times when it's not the best outcome that you want someone's gonna make a decision and stuff but I think it that oh that outcome is gonna create another event which is gonna cause another response and you can just, it's like it just, it's a chain reaction that kind of keeps going and you can choose to just keep being better at your response. Are you going to have it right 24-7? Nope. But you will get better at it over time. It doesn't get easier. There are things that I think about. I watched it at Starbucks this morning. Two baristas yelling at each other and I was like, dear Lord, they need, whoo, we got to talk about some toxic work environment. But they just need to understand their E plus R equals O and it's so easy to see that. But just focusing on that because it's not always going to work out the outcome that we necessarily want, but we can work to influence the outcome and have a better understanding of what truly is going on. And I don't know, I feel like ultimately you feel better about that. You're not like wanting to rage out. You're not so emotionally distraught that you're just lashing out at everybody. I think those are really unhealthy ways of dealing with it. And so when we're able to take our outcome and say like, okay, I call it the plot twist. Okay, plot twist, not what I wanted. Okay, next thing and stuff. Because without a shadow of a doubt, with my experience with this housing relationship, it is. it almost feels like every single time we have a conversation, it never turns out the way we talked about the outcome. And now it's a new E, I have to choose a new R, go to the next O, so on and so forth to keep working on it and stuff. And I feel like I, I, feel like I can just rest easy on the fact that I chose the best response. Also, we coach too. Tim, he, we will coach out our good responses before we walk into certain conversations and stuff. That's okay to know that you need help. I'm for it. I don't want to keep you guys any longer. I think it's like 3.15 now we go back or something. Thank you so much. I hope that this is truly applicable for everybody. It's really easy to use everywhere and I will email out all the slides and please feel free to reach out to me. I love to send resources. Um, I love to talk about what's going on and help people with anything and um, I'm just really thankful that conversation and apologize it's so hot in here.